<sighs> Hello and welcome back, everybody, aboard the great ship, the Space Show Show. I <laughs> am your host, Lieutenant Commander Rebecca Frost, joined by Admiral Carrie Jackson. Now, did you get an advanced rank? Because we're starting a new series. Yeah, I thought about it. Um, and I haven't done my research into how any of that works. Should you stay at this rank until we get out of original series stuff and Ooh. into next gen? Is that when you want to? Maybe. Here's here's the thing. Um, okay. If this were a real spaceship, I don't ever want to be a captain. The highest rank I'd ever want is first officer. But <laughs> I think I would I think I would make an amazing first officer, but I I just do not want the responsibility of captain, honestly. I'd be uh an excellent morale officer. I would just go around <laughs> and make sure everybody's like, "You okay? You okay?" My answer would be Oh, like Dr. Comover in the original series, my answer to everybody would be, have you, you put ice with that? Let me take care of that for you. Let me get you a <laughs> beverage. That would be my morale. Honestly, boosted. I think my dream position would be a Deanna Troy, like counselor. I would love oh. to be a, a counselor because in real life, I would love to be a therapist, honestly. Um, I just don't want to go to school. So I, <laughs> I, I think I would make a very good counselor. <laughs> So instead of going to school, I'm an online crank. That's what I do mm -hmm. now. <laughs> Come to me with your online problems and I'll solve them. But you can't <laughs> hold me liable. I don't have a degree or nothing. No. Um, so we are, we are embarking on a new mission. We have wrapped up everything in the original series, but now we are moving on to Star Trek, mm -hmm. the animated series. After the cancellation of the original series in 1969, the live action show proved popular in syndication and generated significant fan enthusiasm. This resulted in Roddenberry's decision to continue the series in animated form. Much of the original cast returned to provide voiceovers for their characters. Series writers David Gerald and DC Fontana characterized the animated series as effectively a fourth season of the original series. And after the conclusion of the animated series, the adventures of the characters continued in the live action theatrical film, starting with 1979's Star Trek, the motion picture. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get, we'll get there. So four, <laughs> four episodes from now, we're going to get there. All right. But until then, we are talking about the animated series, which was critically acclaimed and was the first Star Trek series to win an, ad, uh, an Emmy Award when its second season won the 1975 Emmy for Outstanding Entertainment Children's Series. And that's why I think that it got the awards is because everybody outside of Star Trek was looking at it as it's a show for kids. It's mm -hmm. cartoon. It's Saturday mornings because that was that's what we had. But the people who were making it, on the other hand, they were, as you said, looking at it as season four. And so they're telling the story. Some of the scripts are kind of holdovers from, you know, a possible season four. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so that's why I think that it won so many Emmys is people weren't expecting this from a Saturday morning cartoon show. Yeah, and so I was talking about it with my husband today, and I, listen, I don't know, maybe I have Star Trek rose-colored glasses on, and I know you were dreading talking about the animated series. <laughs> I've been enjoying them, man. Really? I, yeah, because here, here's why. I think it's because a couple of different reasons. Okay. My little ADHD brain loves a 24-minute Star Trek the original series storyline because um, <laughs> it truly is just Star Trek the original series 24 minutes long in animated form like yeah. it like geared towards kids i have a little kid's brain 
I, I don't really have to be focusing all of me, my energy onto this show to understand what's happening. Mm. I try. Trust me, I do try. I put in the effort. Um, but also, you have the power of animation. Can we talk about the power of animation? It opens up the Star Trek world into something so much larger. It's created, you know, the opportunity for way more expansive backgrounds, better sets, better, bigger starships. You can have more alien creatures involved and on the bridge. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it really opens up the world of the original series in such a way that really is kind of fascinating well, to me. Well, and, and a good example of that is uh, because uh, uh, Walter Koenig, I don't know whether he was invited and decided not to go or was not invited to join. Uh, but Walter, K I think he said, no, I don't want to do it. Uh, Walter Koenig not there. So instead of Chekhov, we have uh, an, an alien operating the ship, uh, Eric, so cool. you know, and, and mm -hmm. he's got, he's got an arm in the middle of his chest. And, you know, I mean, you, you wouldn't be able to do that on this, on the TV budget, the live action TV budget. So that's a good example. Yeah. Like we can get aliens that aren't humanoid right mm -hmm. like we can get aliens that aren't just like a carpet made of rubber or the same reused machine from the nomad you know we can I we will can not get have other you talk, things talk crap about nomad uh, <laughs> <laughs> that being said though we are talking about filmation which was like the cheapest animation available at the time i mean oh yeah a little bit of history um again i was raised on looney tunes so i mean roadrunner and bugs bunny set a high bar for me and those were all hand drawn and there was like a whole bunch of people employed to do that and as hollywood started to go on and television started to go on they realized that's pretty damned expensive to have all these animators uh is there a cheaper way to do this and we started to see it with the advent of Scooby-Doo and, and some of these other cartoons. And I began to notice it as a kid that the animation quality wasn't there. It was starting to deteriorate. And as a Star Trek fan, I said to myself, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I gave it five minutes <laughs> and walked away because the animation was stiff. It was the cheap stuff. The, it wasn't the real music. You didn't even have like the red alert sound effect. They couldn't have that either. There were so mm -hmm. many things that were different. And I just went, eh, eh, and I ran away. <laughs> the music does sound like game show music. It's just not good. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, that being said, since I've been asked and assigned in the same <laughs> movement mm -hmm. to rewatch these. I'm discovering that I'm either really liking the episode or really hating the episode. I'm Rebecca mm -hmm. Frost all of a sudden. It's yeah. one or the other with me. There's Isn't it crazy? <laughs> <laughs> so where do you want to start? So we'll start with episode one, Beyond the Furthest Star. While exploring the outermost rim of the galaxy, the USS Enterprise is pulled into the orbit of a dead star. Trapped there, the crew discovers that there is an ancient derelict pod ship trapped with them as well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, this is one of the episodes that I wasn't super into, but I, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I am this way about nearly every pilot episode of anything I watch. I am really? never super invested in a pilot episode. 
so this is the living ship. This the ship is is alive essentially. Yes, and you know, not the first, you know, not the first time that a, a you know an entity is trying to take over the Enterprise. Well, I, well, actually, I take that back. It's not that the entity is trying to take over the Enterprise. It is trying to suck the energy out of the Enterprise. Um, and oh, the immediately, immediately, the first thing I noticed. Uh, Uhura gets a lot more to say and do than she ever did on the original series, which is mm -hmm. big bummer because can't see her, but now we just get to hear a lot more of her. Apparently, Nichelle Nichols was really happy with the animated series. She loved it because she not There's... only got to do more as Uhura, but she got to do different characters. And these are all these are all to come. There's uh, an episode coming up in the group of episodes that we're going to talk about today that she claims is her favorite episode, and I'm excited to talk about that. Yes. Uh, but Beyond the Farthest Star, this episode's title was inspired by a book of the same name by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, and that is the only thing these two things have in common. Well, okay, they have the space and spaceships in common. But other than that, the story by Edgar Rice Burroughs and this TV episode have absolutely nothing in common. Um, but another fun fact, everything I learned about George Takei, he's like Keanu Reeves. Every new fact I learned about him just makes me like him more. Uh, <laughs> this episode did not air in Los Angeles until December 22nd, 1973, due to George Takei's run for LA City Council. Takei's opponents claimed that if any episode that featured him aired before the election, it would violate the equal time law in which political candidates must have an equal amount of airtime on non-news programs. So for yeah. that region, yesteryear, the next episode was the premiere episode of the series. Which is why Al Franken had to stop being on the radio uh, uh, show uh, on Air America, the Al Franken show, when he ran for uh, for Senate. And why oh, I will, yeah, and, uh, and that's also why I will never run for governor. Yeah, so. that's why. <laughs> <laughs> because who will run Radio from Hell if Carrie's running for governor? Well, it's the rules. I'd have to be off the air if I was running for governor. And so, yeah, it just wouldn't be the same. Uh, but this is the first episode where we do get the benefits of animation, where we get to see a super cool starship that I don't think we could have ever seen mm -hmm. in the original series because it's got all of these little, like, like... Uh, look like ovaries I'm not, if I'm gonna be gross about it like it they look they look like bio like biological ship parts yeah and, it and looks the, super cool and the 60s aesthetic of the swooping arches mm -hmm. and everything was also there too yeah but you know um the characterization from the original series still comes through because you know this energy sucking thing has managed to find its way onto the enterprise of course and kirk is like don't worry i'll kill the ship and you know <laughs> threatens to, <laughs> threatens to kamikaze the enterprise and the entity is like okay okay damn i'll leave <laughs> uh that was that was something i noticed about kirk in the first few episodes of the animated series is that he was much more gung-ho to shoot and kill things Mm -hmm. You know, that was his yeah. first answer. And then it's always Spock going, uh, hang on, hang on. Hell, we... <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's slow down here. <laughs> but speaking of Spock, the next episode, Yesteryear, mm. Spock must travel to the past to rescue his younger self from danger. I quite enjoyed this episode. I'll tell you what. Uh, I have to admit, this is one that I watched and I went, okay, I get it now. I get it now. And this episode uh made me realize just what a 
well of reaction images and memes the animated series is going to be. I have been screenshotting so many moments from this show. So Spock, you know, they go back to the Guardian, the time portal that we that we all know and love. Ooh, that's got to be rough for Kirk, right? Yeah, well, and now the Guardian, it talks and it, it announces arrivals and departures. Isn't that insane? Like it's an airport. It's become like a tourist attraction now. That's not a good <laughs> yeah. idea. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, so, uh, something happens where Kirk is the only one who can remember Spock, but it turns out Spock actually died in childhood. And so he never made it to be first officer. And so they, you know, go to the Guardian so Spock can go back in time on Vulcan to see, hey, what happened? And it, mm -hmm. Spock has a memory of being rescued by a cousin. And he was the cousin all along. Probably. I am my own cousin. That sounds like yeah. very, very hillbilly to me. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh so he you know goes back in time goes to vulcan um and walks into the scene that would later inspire 2009 star trek uh where a bunch of bullies are bullying spock because he's half human half vulcan mm -hmm. and he which is one of my favorite scenes in the 2009 uh, jj movie but i've always had an issue with it because why is it because vulcan children aren't as in control of their emotions as adult Vulcans, because why are these children being so mean? Because that's an emotional reaction to be mean to someone. Well, I mean, to be fair, the, uh, the group of Vulcans is, is part of the young Republicans. And so anything different, uh, <laughs> they just have to get, they just have to get rid of. I think it has something to do with the controlling the emotion because you're, you're a kid and you know the vulcans do have emotion they just suppress it that, that that's yeah that's the big and, misconception about vulcans yeah and that must be a learned skill which i mean mm -hmm. i don't know i learned it when i was a child i don't know why they can't that's a story <laughs> for another time uh i, I really <laughs> loved this episode because spock has a pet young spock has a pet bear thing and this is referenced in the journey to Babylon episode, uh, uh, where, where we meet Kirk, uh, well, where, excuse me, where we meet Spock's parents and, and McCoy even asks Spock's mom, he says, uh, I mean, was he like a normal kid? He says, well, he did have a teddy bear that he liked and that oh. just delighted McCoy, <laughs> a teddy bear. Oh, and that's when Spock informs him and says, well, the teddy bears on Vulcans weigh about 300 pounds and have, you know, long teeth and you know and he's big 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 boy uh writer dc fontana based the personality of spock's pet on the her pet cat named bobby mcgee Ooh. and i don't i didn't really notice a personality in no. that bear it was just um, like a loyal dog to me it was you know and it yeah. was a chunk it was a chunk I <laughs> that, chunky so. boy uh and dc fontana so later on in the episode um the bear in order, Spock, this is a very pivotal moment in Spock's life, honestly, because um, you know he's out. Um, he didn't run away because it, the whole the whole thing where Vulcans have to go. It's kind of like the Day of Demand in Star Wars. If you're a royal on Alderaan, right? Like well, you have to go. <laughs> that's quite the connection. But you know you have to go out in the wilderness and survive for like a week. I think um, it's it's a trial that uh, young Vulcan males have to you know go through in order to mm -hmm. advance but it's, it's a survival young, trip essentially. so young spock runs away i think um 
and he's encountered by some kind of wild beast and the um the bear i cannot remember its name off the top of my head i say sailor is sailor's the type of animal it is oh a sellout sellout because i took a screenshot because the bear wanted to come with spock and spock says no you are too old and too fat for this (laughs) it's uh aichaya aichaya and and what it was is that spock wanted to practice for this thing uh you know so it it was i want to practice because i I need to pass it because my father and mark leonard comes back and does the voice of his father uh mark leonard i gotta impress my father i gotta pass this thing and and i figure if i practice then then i'll get it right i you know rather than just being thrown in and do it so that's what that's why he decides to to run off and and of course his bear follows him thank god the bear follows because he is attacked the young spock is attacked and um aichaya comes and rescues him but is impaled by a poison claw and this is a moment of um learning for young spock where he needs to learn you know death is only mourned on vulcan if it is a life wasted and and death is inevitable and all Mm -hmm. life must end in death so this is really a moment of are you going to choose to mourn about this or are you going to choose to accept that this is what life is um no, which and make, I thought was really make, powerful. It was. And also making the decision because the doctor says to him, he says, look, too late. I, you know, the poison's going to kill him. He's going to suffer. Or I can preserve we could, his life or we can. Yeah. And yeah, we can preserve his life and he will suffer for a day or two and die anyway. Or we can take care of this now, which is a decision that happens to kids all the time with their mm-hmm. pets. And, and so kind of harsh for a Saturday morning cartoon, but... But DC Fontana included the death of Spock's pet as a way of helping children deal with the death of their pets. Uh, the studio wanted the de- the pet's death removed from the script, but Fontana refused, and Gene Roddenberry supported her. And so, good for them. I think this was a really cool teaching moment that they and, included. And Gene had a lot more creative control of the animated series than he did even the last, you know season or two seasons of of the live action series interesting um yeah and i you know i i thought this i I thought this was a great episode you know spot gets back the guardian announces his arrival like he's at lax Mm -hmm. and mccoy is still so freaking snarky even in (laughs) cartoon form it's insane i can't remember exactly what he says but he's like well while you were off traipsing about in the past i was here taking care of people like (laughs) dang dude get over yourself (laughs) he's just jealous is cranky um yeah. the next episode one of our planets is missing <laughs> what a title the enterprise encounters a giant cloud creature that feeds on the energy of the planets that lie in its path they determine it is heading for mantilles home to a federation colony governed by a former starfleet officer bob wesley who was featured in the tos episode the ultimate computer um big clouds at it again mm-hmm. big evil clouds coming Eating for you planets again. Uh, Star Trek, the motion picture, Galactus, it's a whole thing. <laughs> and once I pieced together that's what this episode was going to be about, I tuned right out because... I was, yeah, I was gone too. Yeah, and truly the only, the the way that they fix this is that this cloud has a brain and Spock can mind meld with the brain. And so... <laughs> 
but you Spot notice they never melts with the cloud. They they never call it in the episodes that I've watched so far. They never call it the mind meld. It's the Vulcan mind touch. Oh, which I wonder if I wonder if that was trademarked or something, and they couldn't use it like the original oh. Red Alert Klaxon or something. I don't know. It oh, it bothered a, me. This is Mandela effect. Berenstain Bears all over again. I don't know. Hmm. Could be. But so, yeah, this yeah, so this he, cloud he mind melds again. Star Trek the motion picture. He mind <laughs> melds with the cloud, you know, and then it takes over him, and he speaks to the crew as the cloud and. We realize there's a, a way out and a map and yeah, okay. <laughs> Hoosie Watsy, um Spock. All kinds of Hoosie. So some so Spock there's some images of Earth that they pull up to show the cloud when it's in Spock. And so some of the shots of Earth shown to Spock on a computer screen as he is melding with the cloud intelligence of children running with a dog were taken from stock footage of Lassie's Rescue Rangers from 1973, a filmation TV show that was simultaneously in production. Mm-hmm. And so got to reu reuse that footage. We're cheap. So We're obvious. So <laughs> obvious. That dog was Lassie. <laughs> yeah. But you know, big big cloud yeah. solve big cloud problem. That's, okay, yeah, yeah. What else is there to say? Um, this next episode, the Lorelei signal, is the one that um, Nichelle Nichols said is her favorite episode. Investigating a sector of space where starships have disappeared every twenty-seven years, the Enterprise finds a race of beautiful women living on the planet Taurus Two. Um, and Nichelle, this is Nichelle Nichols' favorite episode because she takes control of the Enterprise. She takes her rightful spot as commander when everybody else is incapacitated because, I'm going to say it, men. Am I right? Men. Exactly. Men. Uh, the, the big bad of this episode are siren women. And so as, you know, they near the planet, they are enraptured in the siren song of... The, these siren women and they beam down to the planet and are quickly yeah. overtaken by these hot blonde women all the all the men on the ship are affected in one way or another even spock which makes me wonder she's a lady playing a drum <laughs> what about the gay men on the ship were they not and were they there interesting uh, curious i always wonder it was how the that 70s worked. there's no gay men exactly <laughs> In, in definite, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, not on Earth, not on my Starship Enterprise. But George Takei would like a word with you about that. <laughs> yeah, where was he? He was nowhere to be found. I don't know if he was, uh, was he in this episode? I don't remember. I don't remember because um, who beams down to the planet? It's Kirk and Spock and not uh, Kirk, Spock and McCoy and I think yeah. another ensign. Yeah. Um, and then Scotty is in control of the ship, and that's when um, Uhura is like, okay, I am taking over. And Scotty's got this just dumb look on his face because he's being seduced by the music or whatever. And he's, uh, yeah, he's he's really stupid. Uh, he's like more, <laughs> he's like more affected than anybody. It's like he's, he's more hetero than even Kirk in this episode. He's to the yeah. point where there's a... A sequence and I was like what are, what is this what are they doing and it's Scotty singing some sort of Scottish brogue He's humming and just sitting in the captain's chair just vibing 
And then it's like the shot of the exterior of the Enterprise as it's orbiting the planet, and he's still singing. It was it, so bizarre. And it was so long. It, yeah. it was forever, I swear, but it was probably maybe 30 seconds, but still, that's a long time. <laughs> I, when, when Uhura decides that she's going to assume command of the ship, I was on the edge of my seat because remember how Scotty is, I think, secretly kind of racist. I was really worried about him being also secretly misogynistic. Um, and, and it only comes out when he's incapacitated, right? When he's drunk or under the influence of some other entity, like it only, mm -hmm. the racism only comes out in those instances. And so I was so scared that he was going to say something about her taking charge. Luckily he didn't. And I was very proud of the show for not doing that. But, mm -hmm. ooh, I gotta tell you, I was, I was nervous. Well, see, he, 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 the only thing on his mind was those hot chicks down on the planet, you know, the ones that mm -hmm. all look the same. Uh, <laughs> all hot, blonde, white, blue-eyed women. Like I mean, this is, this is, I think ZZ Top wrote a song about this called Planet of Women. But uh, <laughs> this was all, this, you know, Kirk, why did, he didn't just go down there and just stay? I <laughs> I have, I have one of the screenshots I took of this episode is of um, the women subduing Kirk because they all have these like inhibitors on that like ages them and like drains them of their powers. So that's, that's the whole deal is these women developed a, as they evolved, they evolved differently where, you know, they basically absorb the, the power of men right and they that's how they yeah. live. And then every 27 years they got a they got a re up. Um, and so they've got these inhibitors on and the the women are subduing kirk and kirk has this look on his face like no don't i hate oh, it no. <laughs> <laughs> ah, i hope no one comes well, to save me but another reason that kirk would not stay on the planet is because it also when they drain the power or energy from you it ages you as well so that's mm -hmm. i don't think shatner would have put up with that no no per <laughs> person shatner no animated shatner well, they're the same. Uh, the <laughs> the title of this episode, uh, the Lorelei signal, is a reference to the legend of Lorelei, which is an old German tale of a beautiful woman who lured sailors to the Rhine, causing them to crash on the rocks, analogous oh. to the sirens of ancient Greek mythology. There you go. I, women, I did not know that part. Women always causing ships to crash. Mm. No wonder we uh, can't make it across the wherever we're heading to take our limes to wherever we're going <laughs> our limes i don't know uh, old ships i don't know what they yeah. major barrett once again she voices the the head blonde mm -hmm. lady um and she's appeared in a couple of previous episodes she uh, appeared in yesteryear as spock's mom because original spock's mom couldn't return so she nepo wife getting more voice acting opportunities mm -hmm. um and uhura does a character voice in this as well I noticed that one mm -hmm. of the characters was speaking. I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like Nichelle Nichols and mm -hmm. good for her. I love that. Yeah. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll hear that throughout this series. You'll, you, I'm hearing an awful lot of James Doohan doing different voices. Well, James Doohan, he, yeah, when in doubt, you get James Doohan. He, exactly. in, in yesteryear, he initially recorded the lines for Spock's dad. Um, but then what's his name? Martin Leonard was able to return. Mark Leonard, yeah. Mark Leonard, he was able to return and do the lines. So they just ended up not using James Doohan's lines, but when in doubt, it's James mm -hmm. Doohan, you know? And that happens in our next episode. 
more tribbles, more troubles, or as I have labeled it, mo tribbles, mo problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While the USS Enterprise escorts two robot cargo ships carrying uh, wheat, a new seed it's, grain. <laughs> Quint- well, Quinto Tritical. Quinto Triticale. As opposed to Quadro Triticale, which was in the original episode is the so kind of this is of just wheat. like the next evolution this is the next version of that uh but- anyway they're transporting this to a famine-stricken sherman's planet it encounters a klingon battlecruiser pursuing a federation scout ship and when the enterprise rescues the pilot the klingons attack with a new energy weapon and demand that the pilot be handed over to them the music again is stuck in my head that's the one thing that i've noticed about this rewatching is that that music is stuck in my head but and let's talk let's talk is... about sherman's planet for a second yeah tell me about sherman's planet okay in the first in the live action tribbles episode on the original series it was quadratriticale wheat for sherman's planet and now here we are again we had to do an advanced version of the wheat for sherman's planet maybe we should just abandon sherman's planet and go can someplace they, else can they not grow their own what's exactly going on down there we're always trying to help out sherman's planet always and it, it wow yeah. interesting i didn't realize you were such a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of person carrie in this instance i am yes <laughs> whatever happened to socialism i know right uh <laughs> but who who appears uh but our friend cyrano jones and it's and uh, the same actor uh doing the voice mm-hmm. Same actor. Uh, the the bit of trivia I have for this episode regarding that actor, um, this script by David Gerald indicates that when Kirk rattles off the charges against Cyrano Jones, because of course Cyrano Jones can't go anywhere without racking up a rap sheet, um, exactly. he would make the sound similar to how Lucy would in I Love Lucy um, whenever she realized <laughs> that she was in trouble. But Ooh. Stanley Adams was apparently unfamiliar with that and makes a completely different noise. How are you? How, how are, are you an actor in television and in Hollywood? Unaware of I Love Lucy on a Desi Lu production. Yes, and completely unaware of how Lucy makes that noise. <laughs> well, I've never heard of this Lucille Ball. I don't understand. What are you talking about? I... <laughs> Women on TV, unheard of. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, Cyrano Jones is one of those characters that you know it's like Harry Mudd, where you know he. It was good to see him again, in a way. He, yes, and whenever whenever Cyrano Jones shows up, I like Cyrano Jones. I know he's a dipshit, and <laughs> he's always getting the Enterprise in trouble. I like Cyrano Jones. I in a fight between Cyrano Jones and Harry Mudd, huh, who would win? God. Uh, well, if it's a physical confrontation, I'm giving my money <laughs> to Harry. But if it's a, yeah. if it's a if it's a bullshitting competition. It might be a standoff there. Yeah, you know? it's really tough to say. That's um, a tough one. But Cyrano Jones, he's back with those tribbles, and he has modified them. They're they're mule tribbles now, where they don't reproduce. They just get real big, which is an equal problem because mm-hmm. they're they these tribbles are now turning into these just giant beanbag sized puff balls and taking over the ship 
again. Again, in a different way. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead of multiplying, they're just getting huge on the wheat. Uh, but and what time uh, these people are transporting wheat. I exactly. You see what I'm saying with the problem with Sherman's planet is. <laughs> We cannot bring wheat to Sherman's planet because Cyrano Jones is going to show up and he. we are going to have a triple problem. So sorry. It never it just fails. is what it is. Um, no. This episode also has, if you notice the animation, a ton of Kirk covering his mouth. And it's a cost-saving measure. It's so, again, they didn't it's filmation. Want to, they, yeah, they didn't want to take the time to animate the mouth to match up with what Kirk was saying. So he just talks with his mouth covered by the whole, like most of the episode. <laughs> it's such a choice. Well, and, you know, because you had to animate the tribbles, you had to animate the new character, that, that mm-hmm. was taking time and money away. We've got our static, you know, characters that don't move and don't do anything. Again, I hate filmation. Uh, <laughs> I know it, it means a lot to people, but there are people who just love anything that Filmation does. And I don't know whether it's they're stupid or if they're just attracted to the tackiness of it. I don't know. You know, but, uh, I mean, maybe it's a nostalgia thing. But also take a look at the people at Filmation. They didn't realize that Tribbles aren't pink. Oh, this. Oh, OK. I This did come up in Oh, in the trivia, but I didn't include it because I didn't think it was relevant, but apparently it is. Let me find it. Um, but while I, mean, I find that, you know, yeah, this is, I mean, that's, that's gotta Klingons be again. And... Exactly. That, but that's gotta be a disconnect with the animators who just, you know, like, ah, we don't have that color. You know, do this instead, or. Hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll find, I'll find the whole thing. But our old uh, friend uh, from the live action series, at least that character is here, the Klingon, Koloff. And he sounds like such a villain, like because one of those filmation cartoon villains. Exactly. It's not the actor. It's not the actor who played Koloff doing the voice. It's clearly James Doohan, uh doing some sort doing of Doing his a, best. Yeah, I'm the bad guy some sort of attempted imitation or something. I don't know what, but uh, yeah. So the, the, the tribbles are, yeah, pink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. So, so there is a longstanding anecdotal urban legend explaining that the tribbles are colored pink and not brown, as previously shown, because director Hal Sutherland was colorblind. The actuality is that while the art director, Don Christiansen, did suffer from colorblindness, he did not choose the vivid color palette featured so heavily in many of the animated episodes. Irv Kaplan, who was in charge of picking the hues, thought the bright colors would offer more appeal to the Saturday morning audience. Uh, the Klingons' tunics and Kazinti's spacesuits are colored pink for the same reason. Yeah. The, 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 Get over and, it, Carrie. And that becomes a running gag later on with the with the Klingons in their, in their pink and purple outfits. It just... It, <laughs> It's a it's a bone of contention. But do you really, as an animation studio, do you want people who are colorblind working there? It was the seventies. You could have easily fired them without any repercussion. Oh, <laughs> there's not enough. But there's not enough white men to work in the at the animation studio, <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> Where are they going to get more white men? I don't know. It's just Hollywood. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, so the the Klingons have this creature that they have created essentially to eat the tribbles. Um, and J- J- uh, David Gerald's original idea for this episode was that the Tribble Predators would breed as fast as the Tribbles. Crew members would then begin to go missing, implying that the Predators ate them. The producers felt this would be too violent for a Saturday morning cartoon. That's a better story than what we got. 
I'd rather see that. And no, I kind of like this episode. But... Instead, we get Spock, serious as ever. We could throw a bunch of tribbles at them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the idea of a tribble predator because, you know, phasers weren't a thing. You know, oh, you I... can't phase fast enough. Here's, but here's, there's a theory that I heard that I actually really like, and it's about the character introduced in the newest Lower Deck season called Moopsie. Moopsie! Moopsie fits, <laughs> according to this Redditor on the subreddit Daystrom Institute, um, Redditor Virtual Historian 255 says, Moopsie fits what we'd expect for an apex predator on the Tribble homeworld. In every ecosystem, there needs to be a balance between predator and prey. We've so far seen Tribbles as cute little creatures that breed out of control and left unchecked will exhaust a virtually unlimited food supply very quickly. They're so hard to control, they were declared enemies of the Klingon Empire. Mm -hmm. uh, then Lower Decks introduced us to Moopsie, a deadly little hunter who seems to have a big appetite and drinks bones. If you were a prey animal evolving on a world with Moopsie, which traits would become most beneficial? Well, you'd want as little bone mass as possible. Tribbles are a little sphere that doesn't require a complex skeleton. I don't and think they also, have bones, do they? I mean, uh, who knows? And you would also need to either evade your predators or multiply quickly enough to ensure your species survives. There may be no evading the deadly Moopsie, so the Tribble reproduces quickly. It would be easy to see an evolutionary arms race where Moopsie evolved to consume more and more, and the Tribbles evolved to the point where they're born pregnant. Hmm. Some, just, and then somebody there was another twitter post i saw too that was like the moopsie's slow moving the, the way the moopsie moves so slowly it implies that it's an endurance predator <laughs> so, it's, <laughs> so its whole method is to tire out <laughs> its prey <laughs> i love these theories <laughs> yeah yeah I, I that i'm loving this about star trek as i because the thing about not to compare Star Wars and Star Trek, but like a new creature gets introduced in Star Wars and we're like, oh yeah, you new glup shitto, right? And then that's it. We don't learn anything else about it. But they introduce a moopsie in Lower Decks and I have seen three separate videos on the moopsie and so many theories about this exact thing moopsie is it a tribble mm -hmm. predator you know they're, they're they're star trek fans are so quick to come up with the scientific backstories of things and mm -hmm. i absolutely love it yeah it's uh well i mean i haven't seen much about the little shell people on ahsoka but i've seen plenty of moopsie stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the, and i uh, love those little shell people on ahsoka i think they're yeah, great i they're want more of them but charming or whatever uh, that, uh, that's another discussion that's for another, another time another show but uh, this episode ends with scotty saying the best line i've ever heard if we're going to have tribbles it's best if all our tribbles are little ones troubles uh-huh think about it oh if there we're you gonna go. have troubles it's best if all our troubles are little ones Ta-da! Ta-da! Th thank you, Scotty. Thank you very much. Now, sit down. <laughs> Go back to being secretly racist. Uh, but, but yeah, like I said, maybe I have Star Trek rose-colored glasses on because these first five episodes, you know, I was entertained and I'm not dreading going forward. Now, but let me ask you this. Now that you've been exposed to the animated series and you, you understand why a lot of us make fun of it, 
Mm-hmm. Kirk is a jerk. <laughs> it's, yeah, <laughs> it's on its way. Uh, and, and we make fun of it because it's so tacky, because it just looks so awful. Do you appreciate the humor in those new Star Trek animated shorts that are out? Um, the, no. The, the parody ones. Be- oh, because, see, it makes me love them even more. This is where you and I differ is the, these new short, what are they called, short treks, the animated short uh, treks? Something, something anyway, like that. Uh, it's the ones with the, the booger planet and all that. Yeah, Because it's, yeah, yeah. it's done in this animation style, the filmation mm-hmm. style. And so, to me, that because of my love-hate with the animated series and then they're doing these crazy things on the on the short treks it it makes me laugh harder at the short treks than it does i yeah i don't know i have such a weird engaging relationship with the short treks i don't know what it is it's very divisive in the star trek community about these these animated things uh it's and mostly i see is this is terrible uh, mm-hmm. This is awful. Don't do this. But I love them. I <laughs> I just think I that they're think, hilarious. I think what it is for me, um, you know, I grew up watching Star Trek or not Star Trek. Um, I grew up watching Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And uh, this animation style is very reminiscent of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I loved shows like um, C-Lab 2020. Uh I think this animation style is very reminiscent of that. And oh, yeah, yeah. It, it hits somewhere in my childhood, I think. And I think that's why I actually am enjoying this terrible animation style. Um, <laughs> like Scooby-Doo, I loved old Scooby-Doo, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's just that same vibe, and I think but, that's why I enjoy it. But see, that's why I love Space Ghost Coast to Coast so much, is because I grew up with the original Space Ghost, where he was mm-hmm. a serious hero, and the animation was limited. Uh, it wasn't filmation limited. It was Hanna-Barbera limited, which is... Mm-hmm. Hanna-Barbera's animation was a little bit better than the filmation stuff. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that's why I love Coast to Coast so much, is because I saw that... And now it's it's a parody of itself, and I I'm 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 in on the joke, and I think and maybe I, so. I think that's why I also am having a difficult time with the short treks because the humor style in Space Goes Coast to Coast and Sea Lab Twenty Twenty is a lot more uh, subtle and nuanced, whereas the Star Trek short treks I feel like it, it feels forced, honestly. <laughs> But that's just my opinion, and that's you know the vibe I'm getting from it, and so th- that's kind of why I think I don't like it. Maybe it's because the shorts have to get all the jokes in in three minutes or whatever mm-hmm. it is, where a spe- uh, where a coast to coast episode had plenty of time for banjo. Yeah, <laughs> and and Space Ghost Coast to Coast has time for the rule of a million, right? Where like you repeat a joke so frequently that mm-hmm. it goes from funny to not funny back to funny again. Whereas the short <laughs> tracks, like, you're right, they have three minutes to get it all out there. Yeah, get the visual gag in about the people with screw heads and, you know, mm-hmm. get a booger thing, do that quickly and get out. Uh, yeah. I don't, anyway. Uh, I don't know. I don't, um, know. I don't know. But uh, I'm looking forward to watching more animated Star Trek. Um, so please join us next week when we continue to go where no man has gone before, but a lot of people have gone before. Thanks, everybody.